Church Radio, the multicultural voice of Western Australia, streaming from Truett Hill across the state and around the world. And today we have with us Ki Min from Washington DC in America, who's going to continue her series of Cabbages and Kings. So welcome Ki May. Born rock star Mun Ao singing his Bloodstorm or Tui Mong Dai. Unfortunately, the words of this talented singer songwriter, a veteran of the 1988 countrywide demonstrations in Burma, are still relevant today. Our, our latest statistics 
which are coming from an association called the AAPPP, uh, Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. Uh, as of August 4th this year, 946 people are now confirmed killed by this coup uh, staged by this hunter. And the number, uh, the actual number may be higher than this. There were, there are currently nearly 6,000 people under detention, of which uh, over 250 were, have been sentenced to death. And of them, 26 have been sentenced, to, uh, sentenced in person. Uh, 255 have been sentenced in person, of which 26 have been sentenced to death. And that includes two children. So with these dismal statistics, we can uh, surmise why Moon Aung's songs are still relevant. Uh, daily, the hunter bombards villages, towns, and cities with rifle-mounted RPGs or rocket-propelled grenades, while citizens who now call themselves PDF or People's Defense Forces fight back with homemade weapons such as slingshots and tumi or flintlocks, also handmade at home. What Mo Aung just sang was uh, the lyrics, the bloodstorm rages. Don't think the blood that flows in the stream has disappeared. From the stream to the river, the blood rivers are bright red. In the first program of my series, Cabbages and Kings, I spoke of how the land arc that would become Burma was formed geologically and by the continent's shifting positions over millions of years. I then spoke of how the Tibeto-Burmans, whose language is based on an ancient Indian script called Brahmi, migrated probably in the eighth and ninth centuries AD to become an ethnic group called the Pew, who were the precursors of the Burmans. So today we will talk of Burma's first dynasty, the Bagan dynasty, which is usually deemed the first nation state of Burma and also the first empire and the first city state. We still need a little more historical background, you see, as well as if I may say so, some theoretical background as to how we got from there, just regular folks to become bloodthirsty monsters, at least some of us. I begin here because the present military junta sets great store by its purpose-built capital city, Nepido or King's Royal City, in what was pretty, uh, in what was previously a mighty hot place, Nepudo, as the Burmese like to joke. It was set among, it is set among rice fields in central Burma. Before 2005, it was called Pimna, and it was a middling city of no economic or strategic or great historical importance. Until in 2005, the Burmese generals decided that like Brasilia, they'd build a capital city from scratch right in the Burman heartland. And on 6 November 2006, this 
capital city, this new capital city was completed and more than 12,000 troops marched in its first public event, a massive military parade to mark Arms Forces Day. Originally, Arms Forces Day was the anniversary of Burma's 1945 re revolution against the Japanese occupation of Burma during World War II. Uh, on the parade ground were three big sculptures of three major kings. And these were King Anorata, Bayinnao, and Alampia. And as we're going, as we are going in chronological order, uh, we'll start today with Anoratar and the Bagan dynasty. The first warrior king, his name was Minso, and Anoratar was the name he took when he uh, ascended to the throne. Bagan began as an island in the Irrawaddy River, traditionally called Yonghutjun, or the place of the hare's release, a uh, hare's as in rabbit. And uh, for this section, I will re uh, rely mainly on uh, Australian scholar Bob Hudson's The Origins of Bagan, which was his 2004 Sydney University uh, doctoral dissertation. Uh, Professor Hudson did both extensive and intensive excavations in the Bagan area, and his work is probably the most comprehensive and modern so far based on a lot of original research, some done in collaboration with the Burmese archaeology department. So what does Dr. Bob Hudson say? He says this area around Bagan, as well as the Simone Valley, where the Pew settled, has been continuously occupied since the ninth century. And also Mr. Hudson says that the Pew cities might not have ended due to an invasion from Nanchao or present-day Yunnan, as most scholars, including uh, Gordon H. Luce, thought. Uh, I have no strong opinion on that, but they have been uh, burned uh, iron stakes in the city uh, walls that are found that have been dated. Uh, you probably see this in Dr. Hudson's thesis referenced. So the Cucumber King, someone called the Cucumber King was the first king, the first uh, recorded king of the Bagan dynasty. His formal name was Nyangu Sorahan or Yuadujimin, which means the farmer king. And he killed the previous king, Thenko, because Thenko stole a cucumber from his field. Uh, for which Sorahan, who lived in Nyangu, which is very close to Bagan, and the place is still called Nyangu, Sorahan killed the cucumber thief. Uh, he then went to the palace and the queen accepted him to prevent turmoil in the nation. And after a few days, he came out as the proper queen, uh, proper king, sorry, wearing the royal regalia. Uh, so he's also mentioned in Cambodian oral histories, and it may be the same king, it may be a myth. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the Cucumber King has been 
verified by stone inscriptions uh, cut during the time he was alive. So we have to trust that. The Cucumber King in turn was overthrown by somebody called Konso Jaungpyu. And I, I looked, uh, I researched this a little uh, in my cursory manner. And uh, I read that Konso means tax collector. And it was, and his name is Jaungpyu, which is white cat, not Jaungpyu or uh, a white monastery. So he was tax collector, white cat. And he was killed by uh, the Cucumber King's two sons, whose names were Chiso and Sokati. And with this begins one of the sexy, bloody stories common to all monarchies, east or west. Anorata was the son of tax collector White Cat and his main queen of the North Palace, Nyaukinti. He was born in 1044. For comparison's purposes, uh, as a child, I was taken to uh, Pevensey Bay in the south of England, where it's all pebbles and where William the Conqueror um, is supposed to have landed in Britain. So Anorata was born in 1044. In 1066, Edward the Confessor died and William the Conqueror, who was Norman, uh, invaded. And so there's this whole story uh, and you must have seen pictures of the Bayou Tapestry and the story was he really, was Harold really hit by an arrow in the eye and so on, uh, after which uh, Britain became largely Norman or French. So to go back to Anorita's backstory, when he was a child, when he was only six, his father was uh, deposed by his two older stepbrothers. Uh, they weren't his stepbrothers at that moment because, uh, you know, his mother had not remarried yet. Um, but these two young men, who were, of course, older than Anorita, who was only six, Chiso uh, and Sokate, they built a new monastery somewhere and then, quote unquote, invited Kunso to preside there as a mug prisoner. So Kunso had to comply and he lived there at the monastery as a monk for the rest of his life. Kunso, when he um, killed Tenko, he uh, inherited, let us say, three of uh, uh, the chief queens, two of whom were pregnant at that time and then gave birth to Chisu and Sokate. So these two boys grew up into young men uh, and Kunso was supposed to have raised them just like his own biological sons. And so that's where we get to the saying in Burmese, uh, it's not good to save a two-legged being. That is a human being, you know, they're thankless in our, in our uh, folklore. So after the power grab or coup or whatever you want to call it, Jisoo became king and Sokade became heir apparent. And Minso and his family looked after uh, Kunso 
who was in the monastery and their mother and the son lived near the monastery. But in 1038, uh, the elder stepbrother died and was succeeded by Sokadev. And then Minsor in 1044 raised a rebellion at Mount Popar. Now, Mount Popar, if you drive around there, uh, it's a volcanic cone, like uh, blunt on the top, um, that just rises out of the plains. And there are so many stories uh, and history, real history too, woven around this uh, extinct volcano called Mount Popar. And the reason that Minsor rebelled was because Sokote had taken Minsor's mother as his queen. So I don't know if it's rape or uh, sex abuse or what, but he used his power and he uh, took uh, Minsor's mother into the royal harem. And then to add insult to injury, Sokade is said to have addressed Minsor in front of the court as uh, my brother's son, which of course in Burmese culture is highly offensive and obviously was more than Minsor, the future Anorata could bear. Uh, the future Anorata, uh, the young Minsor, uh, challenged his stepbrother Sokade to single combat because it's usually considered better than two armies clashing on a field and hundreds dying. And usually these uh, duels are fought on elephants. And in fact, there's one famous duel between uh, Naraswan, the Black Prince of Siam and the Burmese Crown Prince, which happened in the 16th century. And that was on elephants using these long handled war sites. But that, that battle, which the Burmese lost, uh, set the current boundaries between Burma and si uh, Siam or Thailand. Uh, but this one uh, between Minso and Sokote was on horseback. And this is also very interesting to me because uh, horses are still common all over Burma. They're used in horse carts. Uh, there's not so much horseback riding, but uh, during World War II, the British Army uh, exported a lot of horses to use in Africa and so on. And then uh, my uh, father's family and my grandmother came from a place in central Burma called Mianjan, which is called, which means horses corral, uh, which was a famous center for breeding horses, I'm told. So these little Burmese uh, ponies are supposed to be. Um, short and sturdy, maybe somewhat like the Tibetans, but of course less cold hardy uh, and pretty sturdy little animals. So what happened was um, uh, Minso or Anorata, of course, uh, won the day and he speared uh, his stepbrother who fell straight into the river off the cape, uh, off the cliff straight into the river. Uh, it's not the Irrawaddy River, but a smaller river. Um, I will have to get back to that research later. But the place still exists. 
where he fell off the uh, uh, cliff. And it's called Mingaba. It's pronounced Mingaba today. So the way it's pronounced today could be Mien plus Kaba, which sounds like horse world. But it's not. It's spelled Mienkaba. And Mienkaba, Mienka is uh, what's known in English as tact, uh, the paraphernalia that uh, one uses in riding a horse. I've never ridden a horse, but um, you know, the reins and the tack and the stirrup and the saddle and the bit and so on, all this is known as the tack. And so, uh, or, or the ka, uh, which is the, uh, the um, accoutrements of the uh, horses, royal horses. So that, Sokative fell into the river horse and reins and saddle and bit and stirrups and all. So that's where he fell. So at first, Minso offered the throne to his father, but his father Kunso had grown used to the peace of the monastery and he didn't want to deal with all this anymore, obviously. So Minso was crowned as Anorata Minso in 1044, and he's uh, probably the most famous king in Burma, the most illustrious, the most, the most famous. And among his achievements, which any Burmese child would know, uh, were the rice lands and irrigation system of Jiaozi. And then he conquered the Mun uh, of the, the Tone Kingdom in the south. And in this way, he got Theravada or the old style Buddhism to Burma. Um, and he set up an empire, which uh, north to south, uh, it's about the same length as it is today, but east to west, it's a little narrower because uh, some of the areas like the Delta and the Arakan coast uh, had not yet silted up in the 11th century. So that was the great king, Anorata. And he also built uh, the first stupa in this vast landscape of stupas and temples, which, is, which was called the Lokanandar. And the Lokanandar is, in, in my mind, a beautiful stupa, not so big, um, but it's not that well known. So, uh, to end this story, maybe ending a bit abruptly, but I wanted to end on a real cliffhanger, so to speak. Uh, Minso's mother, as soon as she heard of the duel happening between her husband, her most recent husband and um, her son, ran to the place. And as she ran to the place, her head not uh, her hair got loose and she lost her um, uh, her top, her breastband. Uh, but at that place, she built a monastery called Podolin, Podolin Monastery. So I discussed this story with uh, the brother of a relative who grew up uh, not in Bagan, but you know somewhere in the heartland, a little further south. And this gentleman knew all the stories because he'd heard it while he was growing up. And he said, you know what, 
it's uh, potalin is uh, has a meaning like pota in uh, in uh, pali means sun and lin is still a, a a word used in burmese it's kind of the root form of husband like hubby or something so that's the story and i think well. I'll leave you. I'll leave here. I'll wind up here. I, 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 I have to say, Kimo, that having listened to that um, that story, which obviously is full of rich tradition, but also has that sort of almost element of, um, in some ways, a fairy tale. Uh, it sort of made me really think that in every country if further you delve back into its history, the more unusual and interesting snippets appear. So I don't know about the rest of the listeners, but I have to say- uh, Yes, it's, um, I think, who was it? Uh, T.S. Eliot, no, Yates, who said, uh, we have to go back to the rag and bone shop of the heart and uh, where all the stories start, the rag and bone shop of the heart. So it's all these human passions and these interpersonal relationships and jealousy and love or sex or whatever. So there is a small little, uh, another postscript. She built, uh, Miao Pinde built uh, two monasteries. The first one was called Fotolin or husband son. And the second one was called, is called uh, so where the breast cloth, cloth was lost, you know, her clothes were all in disarray and then, you know, uh, she was in deep mourning. So that uh, I'd love one day to write, uh, write stories or novels from the point of view of the woman, you know, because mm. all these chronicles are all from the men's point of views. Of course. Usually the winner's point of view, yeah. Well, next time, I think you're going to introduce us to a couple of equally famous gentlemen, um, the, the last soldier standing and uh, the incarnate Buddha. Uh -huh. um, so this time, Anorita's time, and after he set up the area and pacified the country and everything, unified the country, which was all really villages. And there's still villages today, a lot of still villages. Um, then the uh, uh, two, two superstars, I guess, his son and his grandson came onto the political stage. So they were Chan whose name means the last soldier standing and Alang Sidu, whose name means uh, Buddha incarnate. So, uh, and then there'll be more poetry and more stories and more murder and mayhem. So I look forward to next time. And, 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 and maybe some more half-naked women running around by the sound of it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, the frescoes are quite naked. Uh, because they are based on uh, Indian frescoes. And uh, when the dancers dance, or when the Cambodian dancers or the Burmese dancers 
recreate these dances. Of course, they have to wear clothes, blouses. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, yes, I realized that, but I was just thinking that um, uh, after uh, sort of like a Burmese Game of Thrones or something, and not put my audience to sleep, you know. <laughs> Terrific. Okay, so thank you again um, today, Kime. I really appreciate what you've had to tell us. Um, we're going to go out with a little bit of music. Um, do you want to tell us anything about this piece of music before um, we play it? Yes. Um, uh, Monong, uh, as I said, was a veteran of 1988, and he ended up uh, seeking asylum and now lives in Norway. But he's a very famous pop singer, and this recording I gave you uh, was apparently done in the Rangoon University Convocation Hall during the so-called reform period uh, under General Thaising, when uh, a lot of us, including my colleague, uh, were able to go back to Burma. Um, so it's very interesting. And there are uh, like two versions. One version was recorded overseas, I think, some time ago. And uh, it um, recreated um, on stage, uh, I forget what the, the proper term is, uh, um, Tableau, tableau vivant, that's what they're called, yeah. Um, the, there are a lot of news photographs taken during the 1988 uprising, of course, uh, especially the young woman who was carried by two interns to the hospital and then died. So all of these things, the soldiers shooting, you know, um, they, they were played out by real actors, uh, real Burmese uh, uh, people. Uh, in costume uh, at the back while Moang sang in front. So uh, I find Moang's music very, very moving. Uh, the lyrics very meaningful and also being pop music, they are, they're very accessible to all of us. Uh, and I do have a story where some of the Burma experts try to, uh, prevent Moang from singing, uh, and he didn't get to sing. So a lot of that happens, but I, I don't want to bring that out right here. Uh, what I do want to say is not all Westerners are, or even not all Burmese are sympathetic or empathetic to the democratic cause. Some want to flim flam or sit on the fence. But as Eli Weasel says, I think I'm pr pronouncing his name, Weisel uh, said, uh, you know, at some point in our lives, um, we do have to choose sides, even in our own small ways. So, um, and that's what the Burmese people are doing right now. So thank you, Tim. Thank you very much. And we're now going to listen to Mo Ang and Look forward to hearing more from you, um, Kemai, in the next episode. Thank you.
Yeah, we 